Hello, I'm Jamie Adams. And I'm Ian McAllister, and I'm extremely excited to introduce our next roving reporter all the way from a AI-controlled space station. Yes, it's Janice Turner from Ren Games. How are you doing, Janice? Hi, oh, yeah, thank you very much for having me on the show from this long distance away in space. Indeed, yes, we're very excited to introduce our first space-based roving reporter. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Janice? Uh, yeah, I'm... Um... As you already said, um, and uh, I uh, created uh, Ring Games with my husband uh, a little over a year ago. Um, we did it just because we enjoyed making games and uh, thought we'd have a bit of a, a punt and getting something out there that we enjoyed making. And um, it seems that other people have enjoyed playing it, which is um, fantastic news. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to play Assembly yet, but I'm really looking forward to trying to pick up a copy of that down at Games Expo. And I'm really liking the look of Sensor Ghost, which is your next game coming out in the not too distant future. Yes, coming on to Kickstarter on the 28th of May, so it's just a few small weeks away now. Um, along with a, a new expansion for Assembly as well, called Resequence and Override. Ooh, excellent. I may have to back that one and spend more money before Expo. Yay! <laughs> Yay. <laughs> uh, we're looking, it's a few days before the Expo, so um, you, can, uh, you can separate the two. <laughs> Excellent. Well, uh, welcome to Brainwaves HQ, and let's get on with the show. This is Brainwaves, bringing you the best in board game and tabletop gaming news. These are the headlines for the week of the 13th of May, 2019. Get ready for a great Western trial. AEG turns off the game's faucet. And Steve Jackson Games hands in its report card. All this and more on Brainwaves. Yes, so we're starting off with a bit of legal news this week. Indie Game Studios, the recently formed collaboration between Stronghold Games and Indie Board and Cards, is suing Plan B Games. Now, Stronghold is, and I'll quote from the complaint here, is seeking monetary relief from defendants' acts of trademark infringement and unfair competition under the Federal Lanham Act, trademark infringement and unfair competition under Indiana Common Law and Common Law Conspiracy. The basic too-long-didn't-read of this is that Stronghold licensed the rights to print Great Western Trail from Egerterspiel from August the 3rd, 2016 to December 31st, 2018. Stronghold released the game. It was extremely popular, sold out very, very quickly, and then they sought to do a reprint in June of 2017. Now, by that time, Eggert Spiel had been bought by Plan B Games, who did not grant the rights for a reprint. From the complaint, Plan B was well aware of the pent-up demand for the Stronghold version of the game in 2017 and the introduction of the nearly identical Plan B version early 2018 to satisfy the pent-up demand for the Stronghold version, improperly traded on Stronghold's goodwill and has led to consumer confusion. So basically, Plan, Plan B released their own version of the game after Stronghold had done some a lot of the legwork in promoting the game and, and making it very, very popular. And Stronghold, um, I'm sorry, Indie Game Studios would like recompense for that. The site I got this off it notes that the original contract was not included in the complaint, so we don't know the exact details of exactly what uh, the deal, deal was between the companies. And it's unclear what the ruling would be at this stage because it basically involves international law as well as US law. The contract may include information about exclus exclusivity and product rights, which would speak a lot to exactly what Plan uh, Plan B and Indie Game Studios are going to be fighting over. But yeah, it's, it's interesting to see something like this actually come out and go, go into the public view. What do we think, folks? Have you had any legal problems at all, Janice, with like putting out Kickstarter games? Have you had to, have you ever had to like sort of look to the legal side of stuff? Uh, fortunately not, no. Um, in uh, my, my other job, I have had sort of issues with uh, breach of NDAs and um, copying mm. of products. And uh, oh, right, it okay. is extraordinarily frustrating. And um, 
very annoying. However, at the same time, I felt um, quite flattered that someone was uh, wanting to copy my idea. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it, I, I can understand it's going to be very frustrating for all the marketing effort that's been put in and the cost associated yeah. with that, and then someone else just benefiting from it. Particularly as it sounds like it's the reprint request was put in within the original agreement timeframe. From what I read, there was a little bit of confusion about exactly what product rights have been granted to indie game studios for the product and i think that was the bone of contention between plan b and and indie game studios so we'll we'll keep an eye on that one for you folks and if anything more comes of it we'll report on that in a future cast uh now on a slightly different note is about ag who are now making the move to make less games rather than more with thousands or potentially thousands of games coming out each year and so many people going for a year of depth this year um, perhaps mm. AEG have got this right. Um, so John Zingser has been stepped step back from CEO to be the director of development. And their recent blog post has actually said about them making fewer, fewer games in order to focus um, on the games that, that they do put out on by them. John thinks that focusing fewer games will uh, make sure that they can do better products and give much more focus and a push in terms of the marketing side of things and be able to support each game more in and on its own, which potentially could only be a good thing because if you spend more time on something, hopefully you get something that's better quality. Yeah, you'd, you'd hope so, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And with Kickstarter seeming to be becoming ever more full with more and more games, perhaps actually stepping mm. back and trying to focus on one is actually going to be something that's going to be positive in Ufoji, but I guess only time will tell. In terms of expansions, um, having asked this uh, on Twitter, the response back was that they don't know yet. They think that they might also do fewer expansions, but at the same time, if it's a good game and there's a good expansion for it and it's doing well, then they see no reason not to release it. So that one's still all under discussion and uh, undecided. Yeah, it's interesting to see a big company like AEG sort of stepping back from the pressure of a big release schedule. Like, so a company like Days of Wonder basically puts all their eggs in one, only one or two baskets a year. They put out like they put out very few games. I was going to mention Days of Wonder as the almost the poster boys for that of going. Mm. We release maybe one or two games a year, and generally there's a lot of seems to be a lot of heart soul put into them. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a fan of all their games, but the the production quality is undeniable in, in Days of Wonder stuff, and they and they all they always have a big marketing push for it as well. Oh, abs- so I think that helps those games find an audience. Releasing a new game is, is expensive and tiring, so being able yeah. just to support the one you'll be they're going to, yeah. to benefit potentially from the volume sales, hopefully, of a single game, but also encouraging people to play each game more rather than just play it once and then passing it on. So. Um, Perhaps that's actually going to be a really good move. Moving on now, Steve Jackson Games, makers of such games such as Munchkin and more Munchkin, have handed in, well, not just handed in, they've released their stakeholders report for uh, financial year 2018. And it's always nice to see a games company with such financial transparency, because it means we get to talk about it, which is nice. Sad to say, the gross income is down a few hundred thousand from the previous financial year. Uh, gross income is $5.3 million this year, with such things like Fantasy Trip, which funded $300,000, and $150,000 during the backer kit stage uh, of their crowdfunding. Uh, Munchkin itself, which included the, the newer editions of Warhammer 40,000 and the soon-to-be-released Warhammer, 40, Warhammer Age of Sigmar variant, which are due to be released this year. 
And thanks due to Kickstarter, the, the nine campaigns they ran in 2018. Nine campaigns, that's a bit mad. Uh, however, most of which delivered and were on schedule. Amazing. $800,000 through Kickstarter, which is not an insubstantial amount of money. And they also, uh, relating to that Kickstarter, have two accounts on on Kickstarter, which might make some people go, mm-hmm. We covered this last time with Colossal Games, but uh, funnily enough, Indeed. Steve Jackson Games have, uh, you know, they have a track record of fulfilling their Kickstarters. They have Steve Jackson Games for properties they will eventually take to distribution, and Warehouse 23 for games that are purely Kickstarter exclusives. I, li- I like that idea, separating out those two things, being very obvious about it. It's kind of good. Again, transparency. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's, you can't, there's always highs and lows. Low points is the much-vaunted Munchkin collectible card game, which was released last year. Didn't really do as well as hoped. And even though there was a, another set designed and soon to be released, they've pretty much said it's dead in the water and the new set is currently on hold. So we've no idea when that will see the light of day. The Kickstarter expansion Munchkin Magical Mess they uh, have also said was a victim of the new for only a few weeks attitude what we were talking about earlier the the fire and forget almost with so unfortunately that seems to also be dead in the water unfortunately yeah it's, in, it's interesting to see steve jackson and aeg games both sort of talking about the more and well as, as steve jackson says in their report the more ephemeral nature of some releases as we were just talking about the sort of fire and forget nature of some releases and i, I do wonder if more companies this year are going to come around and sort of try to release fewer games and support them with those marketing pushes we were just talking about. Uh, Steve Jackson also note that Asthma Day have got a ravenous appetite for companies as well, um, continuing to buy up smaller smaller groups and basically game, gain a monopoly in certain areas. Hang on a second. Are you, trying to say, worry. are you trying to say Asthma Day is some kind of ravenous corporate thing that will swallow up everything? Well, the problem in the UK is that they are also the owner of the only major distributor. Like, and that's, I think that's less of a problem in the States, where there are, are other distributors. But in the UK, basically, you have Stevium, which is another Asmodee-owned company, re- pushing out Asmodee-owned games. You also have Cold Spring, which is Asmodee-owned. Is, is Cold Spring Asmodee? And Galaxy, who isn't? Yeah, I didn't oh. realise that until then. So they do. Yeah. They really do have a monopoly here, ladies and gentlemen yeah. of Brainwaves. This was your mandatory monopoly reference for an episode. I'm afraid we don't have a news story about it this week, but we still managed to just crowbar Spoilers. a bit of monopoly in there. Hope you like yeah. it, Ian. Do, do you distribute through a Stephen Mattel Janus with Assembly, or are you mostly doing, your, doing that yourself? Um, I actually uh, managed to do both a Stephen and Spiral Galaxy. Ah, very good. So, uh, yes, I worked with the small people and the bigger people. Oh, great. Well, it's good to see it's good to see that they are supporting smaller smaller designers and pushing out those games. No, and that has been very good to work with and have been oh, to be very good to work with. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah it's the same thing. I first visited him when I was at Asmodee rather than Asdivium and the signs had all been changed. But no, they've been very, very helpful and very good to work with, actually. And, um, yeah, they've been helpful. Continue with the news now. The 
Swedish publishing company Freeligen have recently announced that they have got the license to produce an Aliens RPG. Freeligen, who are well known for their Tales from the Loop and Tales from the Flood games, uh, they've got an official, officially licensed Aliens game coming out, which is going to be set in 2183. That is 13 years after Alien, whilst Ripley is sleeping. Two years before Alien Isolation, I looked this stuff up because I wasn't exactly sure when I looked it, it can- up. Set in the canon. Oh, did you put that one in? Yeah, I looked it up. <laughs> I put the I, I, I was the, the aliens. I was a little aliens nerd. Or alien, <laughs> sorry. Alien. Uh, so the most interesting thing that's come out of their announcement, there's not a huge amount known yet other than it'll be based on the Tales in the Loop system and also it'll be set in 2135... Uh, sorry, it'll be... Uh, I'll have two modes of play. I'll have a cinematic, which is basically like the films and you're not expected to survive. So it'll be a, maybe a bit of a bit of a grinder that one and there'll also be a campaign version which is more to explore the u- the universe of the aliens films the blurb on it is the year is 2183 a little more than three years since the destruction of the hadley's hope colony on lb 426 the disappearance of the uss saluco and the closing of the prison and lead works on Floria- floriana 161 the loss of silico's colonial marine unit along with those Wayland yutani sponsored outposts and the implications of corporate foul play stemming from these incidents have created an air of distrust between the company and the united americas uh, for those not doused in alien lore like Jamie is, the Saluka is the big ship of aliens that transports the marines. Uh, the Foriana 161 is from Alien 3, and Alien Resurrection is uh, 2386, so much further on. And that's all coming out later this year. There's been an Aliens RPG before, which I don't think was very successful, but interesting to see a, a company like that who are producing sort of odd, interesting RPGs getting a big license like that. I just think it sounds interesting they're going to try and combine in one license, one book, the fact you're basically going to be playing either Call of Cthulhu or Traveller, basically. Yeah, it sounds very much like that. I mean, if they get the art, I mean, the art for the Tales of uh, Tales from the Loop and Tales from the Flood is absolutely gorgeous. So if they get that, that sort of aesthetic right from Alien as well, those could be some very pretty looking books and hopefully good games. Now, we were talking earlier about Asmodee, the great overlord of board gaming and monopoly owner of distribution in Britain, it seems. Please don't sue us, Asmodee. We're your nice people. Anyway, they announced a wee while ago, and we reported it a wee while ago, that they were going to be releasing Media Division. So to produce novels and and comics and, and... games and not game video games you know what i meant and now they've announced a fiction arm under the name aconite and they're going to be producing novels of some of your favorite asthma day properties uh it plan is a plan for a monthly publication schedule from around uh, 2020 so next year uh, the plan is for paperbacks and ebooks uh, the publisher and marketing director of the, the global sci-fi imprint Angry Robot, a man by the name of Mark Gascoigne, has been set up to helm the, the, the project. And head of Asmodee Entertainment Andy Jones has said, Asmodee's stated mission is to bring the world great games, amazing stories. Aconite is another key milestone along that path literally creating those amazing stories and bringing further depth, intrigue, characters, and narrative to some of the best game worlds ever created. Literally. Boom, boom. I'm going to say this. That sounds great. And yeah, you know, I might glance at a pandemic novel or something like that. But I quite enjoy the stories that you make yourselves at the table. 
I mean, there's been some Arkham, Lave Arkham LCG novellas which are basically got like some promo cards in them which have been okay from Fantasy Flight Games. Fair enough. Um, so yeah, there'll be more of that. Don't think there's much more to be said about it other than we'll see what they see they produce. Some of it might be good. I just hope it, I just hope it'll be, be a bit cheap. I just hope it's going to be yeah. I said I hope it's going to be a good quality. Okay, Stainford gained steam. They've now got an injection of cash from of a whole five million pounds from the Foresight Group, which is London-based. Um, and if you're not sure who the Steamforge are, they are makers of Guild Ball, Dark Souls, uh, Resident Evil, and of course the forthcoming Devil May Cry. So ooh, Ian Livingstone has joined the board as a non-executive director alongside an investment manager from Foresight, Ben Dawson. Steamforge CEO Rich Loxon, I think I've got that correctly, but I'm sure someone can correct me at some point if I was wrong, uh, co-founded the company with Matt Hart, welcomed the investment. He said, Steamforge has grown beyond all our expectations over the last five years, and Foresight's investment gives us the scope to drive the business forward in the years to come. He also said, we look forward to working with Foresight and utilising the investment to continue the development and extend the reach of our games. And if you're wondering what this new five million is going to be used for, they state the investment will be used to support new products development, um, developing retail channels and to help accelerate international growth. And if you're wondering how much growth that is, they're planning eight new games in the next 24 months, which is just two years. So that's doing the complete opposite to <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, yeah Steamforge leaning into their game releases. And maybe they'll use some of that money to complete their Dark Souls deliveries. Who knows? Yes, maybe one day we'll get those final boxes turning up at all. I was going to... I didn't want to say it, but yeah, let's, let's not go ahead with your eight new games, Steamforged. I mean, it's, you know, it's interesting, but let's already fulfill the ones you have and have in development, like Horizon Zero Dawn. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting to see an, an actual investment company putting money into our hobby like that. I mean, I'm sure this kind of thing happens all like all the time in the background, but it's interesting to see it happen so publicly, to see even Ian Livingstone involved in that and on the, bo uh, on the board, admittedly, as a non-executive director. But yeah, it's... it's a sign that the hobby is still growing and that people are looking at it as a potentially money-making thing for them and are happy to invest that level of money in essentially a fairly new company. I Steam wouldn't say it's like new terribly anymore. old. Yeah. Oh, it's Steamforce are five, six years old now, something like that. They said they're about over the last five years, so I guess they're about five years old. Yeah. yeah. And um, it's so generally for a company that's still relatively new to us yeah, they fell they have... the first two to three years, so they're now out of the. They're out of the red zone. Yeah, yeah. out of the red zone, and a couple of years in, so I'd say that's still pretty new. Mm, yeah, fair enough. Given that was yeah. it, AEG was twenty-seven years or something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah it's toppling in comparison. <laughs> ah, these young, <laughs> these youngins, they grow up so fast. <laughs> <coughs> Sorry, I've got a really sniffy nose today. Oh, that's I right. don't know what's wrong. <laughs> Hey, Fever. Uh, yeah, I swear it's not cocaine. <laughs> we can't afford cocaine on our budget. No, okay, of course anyway. not. I, I use, uh, no, never mind. I use icing sugar. Um, <laughs> delicious. Course, mm. It is, of course, award season at this time of year. Isn't and it always? It is always at this time of year. That's why it's this time of year. And we have the nominees for the Origin Awards 2019. The Origin Awards are voted on by members of the Academy of Adventure, Gaming, Arts and Design. And all winners will be announced at the Origins Awards 
on the 15th of June 2019. So not very long to go at all. Usual board games, card games, role-playing games, fantasy, uh, not fantasy games, family games, miniatures, role-playing accessories, and such like. For example, the board games category this year, it's a lot of the heavy hitters from this year. Brass Birmingham, Chronicles of Crime, Everdell, Root, Rising Sun, which I thought came out not last year, because obviously that would come out, but the previous year. Shows how wrong I am. I think it maybe hit retail in the last year, but it was on Kickstarter ah, of before Of course, that. of course. I am a numpty. Yeah, there's not a lot of surprise on this list. I do question Vilmus being in card games. I mean, it's principally a game with cards in it, I guess, but I would call it a board game personally but that's a whole that you could whole have an entire podcast series about what's a card game and board, well, what's a board game but yeah there's not a huge number of surprises in here really i don't think the family game stuff i don't really know too well i've heard of t dragon society game when i dream spy clubs sound quite interesting but yeah there's a huge amount saying there role-playing games are full of the heavy hitters you'd expect modifius entertainment evil hat pinnacle entertainment uh D's in there obviously and uh, Mar- uh, the Masks of Narlathotep uh, slipcase set for Call of Cthulhu is also in the role-playing supplement, which considering it's, yep. you know, vaunted history and we talked about um, the designer suddenly passing away. So uh, Yeah, I can see that winning that this year. I think it might just. I mean, the other yeah. ones it's up against are Dungeons and Dragons, Mordenkind's Tome of Foes, which was an alright supplement. You know, it's nice fluff. Uh, Legend of the Five Rings, Emerald Empire. I haven't Red, sad to say, any of the Fantasy Flight Legend of the Five Rings supplements. Yeah. And Star Trek Keyforge is in there in collectible games, which is nice to see. Bring my like favorite. Keyforge around here. Yeah. Oh, Sam, wherever you are, I hope you have your Keyforge. Indeed. Well, he'll need it to get back. Really, not more to, much more to be said, but we'll let you know the winners when they're announced. Uh, I, and also, in other news, uh, there has been yet another Kickstarter suspended recently. Uh, this time, um, rather than uh, being a reputable company who may have had a number of outstanding Kickstarters, this is a, a new company that seems to have tried it uh, at least three times. Um, the suspicion is that this one may be an attempt to fraud, but uh, we don't know what the actual case is. All we do know is that they have attempted this three times. Um, each time, Kickstarter has suspended their um, account and the Kickstarter and each time the creator has created a brand new account and tried it again. And uh, quite interestingly uh, on one of their campaigns someone in the comments asked why has it been suspended? And the creator responded maybe Kickstarter knows we will recreate a new one so we will remake a new one on Kickstarter soon. So here's another one. Are Kickstarter cracking down on this or um, and when will we see the next um and when will we see the next campaign by Play Eleven Board Games? Entitled, what was it called? It was called Devil Ring: Age of War. Um, but so, yeah, they so go. Keep an eye out for that. For Target of something like forty-nine pounds or something like that because they're <laughs> yeah. finally targets after failing on their four thousand pound targets. Yeah, I, th- I think that's one of the reasons they've been pulled. Is like such low targets. Like, well, you can't produce anything with that level lower target. It's interesting to see Kickstarter starting to crack down more. Um, certainly we were reporting last cast about them cracking down on Colossal Games for basically having multiple concurrent running Kickstarters through different accounts uh, hopefully this is the start of Kickstarter actually implementing their own rules that'd be good I mean I last time the customer. Know, last time we talked about Colossal Games and the suspension of the Kickstarter for Solar City because the 
was it the company CEO basically cut and run and tried to flee the he basically country. Cut, he basically cut and run and basically a, a, a bunch of mismanagement rather than actual fraud, I think. Okay, okay. So that, that, was, that was mismanagement predominantly, but Colossal Games was, was more just the multiple And, you know, we saw that and we went, oh, that, that's, that's a bit ridiculous. You know, how often? And then the next cast we do... This one, there is, this is just blatant fraud. I mean, goodness sake. It's nice that board games are now such a thing that people will go, ooh, let's do some organized crime with it. Let, let's just, let, <laughs> let's do some serious stuff. You know, let, let's, let's not just, you know, let's not worry about drugs. Let's defraud Kickstarter backers. Well, there was one, uh, what, about six months ago that was doing hundreds of thousands. Uh, oh. That was, eventually got suspended sort of shortly after it funded or something but it was like plummeting hundreds of k a day towards the end as people oh. yeah it was i think it was under 24 hours before it suspended i can't remember what it was called it was like sands of something or other we reported on it in a previous oh was that the one that was basically yeah. the exact same game or like the, the man yeah being... it was a carbon copy of another game like down to Do the manual had that? been yes. copied and pasted we copied and pasted and... i think different sections from different kickstarters yeah. And, yeah. and the rule book was also a, almost a copy paste job from another one I so they had that. split their sources slightly but uh yeah there was uh, <laughs> it was quite an interesting one to watch that one sort of yeah, I mean, I'll I'll say what I said last time about the Colossal one is that the the actual fraud and Kickstarter is still vanishingly rare, but you know, not that vanishingly rare. I think <laughs> a lot of it is, is is actually down to when it doesn't happen is down to people underestimating. Oh yeah, yeah. What's going to happen, and then there are the occasional fraudulent ones. Yeah, there's the occasional fraudulent one, but like you say, like most most of the time when a Kickstarter fails, it's not. It's not maliciousness. It's no, just no. mismanagement and just yeah. people getting out of their depth a lot of the time. Moral of the story, kids. Do not defraud. Yeah. And, and again, be careful you're back on Kickstarter. Kickstarter is not a store. Yeah, check the comment sections regularly just because um, if there's something there that's not quite right, you'll probably find it in the comment section. So don't yeah, back and run. Check back before yeah. the end. I think, I think it, it seems to be... The unsaid implication now is like, whenever we talk about a Kickstarter story, it's always going to be, be careful what you back on Kickstarter, and check the comment section. And talking about Kickstarter, let's go to brainstorm. So we do cover Kickstarter a lot on the show. Being a new show, we, it's inevitable that we cover a lot of different Kickstarter things. And last time, of course, we covered Colossal Kickstarter being suspended, the Solar City Kickstarter being collapsing, and this incident of fraud in this particular cast. But what we'd like to focus on now, and since we've got Janice on the show and she has run a success, successful Kickstarter and has a background in project management, is talk a little bit about the problems that you can sort of anticipate when running your own campaign and how you are how they are best avoided so basically what are the common mistakes that kickstarter campaigns make and how can you best sort of tackle those before you get there what's your sort of top five mistakes that kickstarters make janice from what you've seen in terms of mistakes i'd say it's not just limited to kickstarter but um perhaps projects in general i think there's always a, an, an underestimation of risk and uh so working out a project in terms of exactly how long it will take and then putting that as the date, which is absolutely great because that's the date that you should personally be working to. 
but you should always put in some delays because if you ever watch any of those sort of like um, designing your own home programs on TV, you'll yeah. see that they pretty much go 30% over budget and 30% late. So um, yeah. I suggest that's a good rule of thumb. Always put in about 30% extra time and about 30% extra, well, maybe not 30% extra budget, but probably at least minimum 10, if not 20%, because there will be things you've forgotten. There will be things that you haven't planned in and they will creep in. And if you don't have a way to pay for it, then how are you going to produce the games? So um, yeah, make sure that you are financially covered and in terms of schedule, you don't really want to annoy your backers too much. So make sure you put a realistic schedule in there with a little bit of slack because even if the manufacturing process goes absolutely smoothly, there might be other things that don't in your personal life, which can also cause delays. Yeah, it's a good thing to remember actually that a lot of Kickstarter campaign people like yourself are, you're just individuals. You're not like big companies and sometimes personal stuff gets in the way yeah. of those things happening and that's something backers need to keep in mind for being patient but yeah also like you say the campaigns need to keep that in mind for factoring in that extra time and money of, of delays and getting that sort of stuff sorted out and then there's also just different shutdowns in different countries so they have mm. different bank holidays they'll have different peak seasons they'll have different seasons where people have them have most of their holidays rather than sort of the bank holidays so you've got to take all of those sort of things into account as well yeah, especially like sort of Chinese New Year. That's one that affects board game companies quite a lot from what from things I've read in the past and yeah. people getting delays. I remember the one of the early Kickstars I backed was Two Rooms and a Boom. Yeah. And that, I think that came in two years over overdue Ooh. because they decided that at some point during one of, like, uh, this is something I'd like to talk about is like stretch goals, I think are one big problem for Kickstars. They tend mm. to stretch and stretch and stretch to try and get that extra money. Yeah. And they haven't necessarily, like you say, they haven't necessarily planned in exactly how to tackle those things down the line. So two rooms and a boom went from being normal cards to being plastic cards. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's a hidden roll game. And one of the problems they found during manufacturing was that the rolls could be seen through the plastic. Whoops. So they had to keep trying to reprint them to get that right. And it took them forever to actually work that out. And by the time I got the thing, I didn't want to play it anymore. It's just like, I just got this tiny box of cards. Yeah. I was like, I've waited two years for this. Just gave it to a friend who really wanted it. It's just like, oh, just, just, I just lost my enthusiasm for it completely. And of course, because they're plastic cards, the first thing I did was take them out of the box, unwrap them, and then throw them all over a room because they are plastic and slidey. <laughs> I really don't like plastic cards. I, I really hate them. I, I didn't understand the stretch goal because it's like, as, as any game designer knows, the first thing that most gamers are going to do when they get a deck of cards is they're going to sleeve it. Yeah, to be honest, yeah, my my cards that I take to conventions, um, a baby wipe on them afterwards, cleans them up good as new. Top tip. There. <laughs> yeah, no, they're yeah. actually baby they're cards. actually really quite dirty. So you've literally had you had three days of constant play on these cards with yeah. and lo- lots and lots of hands, and literally I just went through the deck with a baby wipe and they were they were really they were as good as new afterwards, and these are not plastic cards. That's why I carry hand clean at cleansing gel around things like UK Games Expo. <laughs> I'll yeah, remember that well, for the next yeah. time. Yeah, but yeah, I, th- I think stretch goals are a real problem in in Kickstarters because we see a, a lot with like it's. I think recently, especially with some of the big miniature Kickstarters, you see an almost incomplete game for the base set, and then like the stretch goals actually finish the game off. There's one recently I was talking to someone about that I can't remember the name of, but they just seem to like not the full game basically wasn't in it in the box, and you had to be pushed to buy in for more more items, more add-ons, more extras to actually get the full experience. 
with uh, sort of splitting the game into a game and the mini expansion as well. There's just a way to do that to try and get the buy-in and the base cost as low as possible. Um, mm. in, I think I've, I've seen that sort of multiple times, but at the same time, if is, you need to give as complete an experience as possible, but the people are very cost sensitive as well. So it's I guess it's yeah. the way that they try and do that. But it does really need to be planned in because when you do them as add-ons, you've always got that risk of um, how many people are actually going to buy them and am I going to meet my minimum order quantities in order to be able to cover those costs. So it does become a bit more of a risk in terms of the more add-ons that you have the, and, the diff- and the complexity of fulfilment as well afterwards. It just, yeah, you want to keep it to a minimum. Minimize, so there you go, minimise your number of picks because it's not going to cost you just the extra pick, it's going to, uh, not the extra cost of the manufacturer, it's going to cost you the extra pick as well. What do you mean by extra pick? So by a picks. lot of the different um, fulfilment centres, they will give you somewhere between one and four picks free of charge, which is per item that they have to pick, literally physically pick and put in the right. box. Ah, so okay. if you go above four, then it's going to be something like 20 pence per extra item. Plus, you then you've got your manufacturing cost on top of that. So you're adding oh. about 20p plus the weight of the shipping cost on top of whatever it is, plus the manufacturing cost. So then you're talking probably somewhere between different... An extra card is going to probably cost you maybe at least another 25, 30p just because of the picks and then the extra costs of splitting them out wow. as well. So something that you might think is just going to cost you someone a few cents, it's you know, a fulfillment, it's not necessarily going to cost a few cents. Wow, I didn't realise they charge like that. So they literally charge Jeez, per item. They oh. have to pick off a shelf and put in the box. Yeah, so you, as I say, you get your first freeze. So you can yeah. somehow get around that by getting your manufacturer to do some of it. So um, we had a, a, a bonus on um, our, our Get Started for Assembly where we had sort of some lock stickers, which would have been two extra picks, which would have been like an extra 40 pence, uh, plus the cost of the stickers themselves. And so we got our manufacturer to put them in the box and create a Kickstarter tradition just to um, try and minimise the cost of that. So forty, so that's 40 pence per unit, and you're pretty... Per backer. Those you, per backer. Yeah. Wow. And you had how many backers on the assembly Kickstarter? Uh, we had about... We had nine, uh, just over 900 backers of about 800 had physical deliveries. So okay, yeah, so that's so that's, that adds that adds up really, really quickly. Whereas yeah, going to wow. a manufacturer, it was like an extra five payer backer instead, plus the manufacturer cost. That's that's <clears> really <throat> interesting. I hadn't realised they charge like that. That's fascinating. Wow. So yeah, so if you've got your add-ons, you need to make sure that they have enough value in them yeah. that you can cater to have that extra pick cost into your um, yeah subsidised because yeah, it's, it's just going to cost you a lot of money otherwise. I guess one of the other trends we've seen over the last couple of years as well is people sort of low-balling their initial gold so they can fund early. And then, yeah, which is basically gaming the Kickstarter algorithms. Yeah. I, I can see why they do it, but it just feels so wrong to me. I like having transparency, just like doing yeah. free shipping when it's not free shipping. It's actually mm. it's shipping included in the product cost. Mm. And, uh, I can, again, you can see why they do it because it's really good psychologically. Um, but again, even subsidised shipping, you, to a certain extent, you have to do it because if you've got a game that costs, say, £20 and shipping that's £10, it's going to be really, really sore. Whereas if you have a game that's £25 and shipping that's £5, then it doesn't feel quite as bad. So I can understand why yeah. you're doing it, but the free shipping 
feels a bit more disingenuous because it's it's not free it's just included in the product cost it's just mark marketing psychology yeah yeah so i, I do like to try, try and have much transparency but like it, it, it works so yeah I guess, it does work uh, if, you, if yeah. that's what if that's what you want to do and there's a, a way to do it then that's that's kind of kind of good. No, I have seen good. a couple of Kickstarters where they've obviously lowballed the target and then not got quite enough, and they've had to cancel. Yeah, Ooh. there's I think because there's... because they've like thought, oh, we'll 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 fund in the first three days, and then we'll get like three hundred percent over target, and it'll be fine. But it just doesn't happen, just doesn't transpire, and then they're stuck. Yeah, they the have to cancel and restart. Really has a significant impact on your Kickstarter campaign because then you don't, no one wants to be the first person. But again, it, it gives um, an impression, particularly for newer creators, that uh, it makes it look like you don't have to... It doesn't cost much to produce a board game, mm. when actually it does. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people, there's like advice about how much money you can be willing to put in. But from my perspective, it's about, well, if you haven't got a market and you can't pay from your print run by your Kickstarter, then should the game really exist in the first place? So... Yep. Or you're doing it as a labour of love and um, acknowledging that you might have five to eight hundred games in your garage forevermore or on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> so it depends. Yeah. If you really want to produce it, then I guess putting your own money in is, is fair enough. And um, if you're doing it, I think sort of more as a project, it's to me, Kickstarter's telling me there's a market for my game. And if there's yeah. not enough to produce the game, then there's not enough market and perhaps I shouldn't be doing it. Mm. Um, yeah. but obviously, in terms of those risks that I mentioned, you need to know where those are coming from, and that's probably the better place for where your, your money's going to. If you're put, you've got some money aside for it, yeah, that's probably where you want it to make sure that you have enough to cover everything and every eventuality. So yeah. I had a load of games stranded in Germany because they was carefully unpicked uh, because it said send all the games plus all the extras. Because manufacturing, if you order to say two thousand games, you're going to yeah. get two thousand somewhere between two thousand and two thousand plus ten percent. And you don't know exactly. Sure. And so when you're organising your shipping, you're going to say, I have the 2,000 plus all the overs. And so they sent me 2,000 and didn't send me any of the overs. And so then I had the, I had to somehow arrange to get all of the overs shipped over to me separately, which was yeah. not a pallet, but it was a very heavy, small parcel. Ooh. <laughs> wow. Yikes. Yeah. Uh, which is where Asmodee came in very helpful. They um, oh, helped good. me ship them back, which was fantastic of them. Well, thanks very much for taking us through that, Janice. That's fascinating stuff. Yeah. Uh, Janice has written a series of articles called All Little Things Add Up on Cardboard, Cardboard Vault. We'll link to that in the show notes. There's some really good advice in there. I recommend you check that out. Uh, yeah, before we uh, wrap up today, we'd just like to mention that Tabletop Scotland is on the horizon. Uh, it is August the 24th and 25th of this year. I am going to be running the playtest zone, so if you have a game in development and you are looking to get it in front of a bunch of eyes, then please do sign up to that on Tabletop Scotland's site. Uh, we'll, accept, we'll accept all sorts of card, card games and board games. So yeah, do come along. We've got free one and a half hour slots, and if you give a little bit of money to the charity that Tabletop Scotland are promoting, uh, you can sign up for a three hour slot as well they've got a bunch of other stuff going on as well they've got a gateway zone so if you're just sort of new to gaming or looking to get your family into games come along and try that out they had a great uh, time with that last year they've got loads of rpgs going on uh, including some special dungeons and dragons events and uh, dungeons and dragons showing of the art of dungeons and dragons sort of documentary oh very nice that a couple of times uh, they've got Richard from We're Not Wizards is hosting a sort of Kickstarter seminar with some of the local designers here. So that's one free element, Dream Big Games. 
and I think Legend, the folks from Legends Untold or Bad Cat Games are going along as well. Uh, there's a huge bunch of other stuff going on there. They're, they're going to be announcing more exhibitors and events over the next few months. And tickets go on sale very soon, so do check that out. Oh, uh, myself and Jamie and maybe Sam, if he's back from another dimension by then, will also be there. We'd like to give a special shout out to our executive producers, Lucky Sparrow Gaming Cafe. Sorry, there's been no Monopoly news this week, guys. We will get back to that next week. I'm sure some Monopoly news will bubble to the surface. But we got a mention of Monopoly in. We will get that in. Don't worry. And we'd like to thank Janice for coming along and helping us out with the news and being our, our roving reporter. We'll have to return you to space soon. Um, but in the meantime, uh, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, they can find me on Twitter um, at Dravin, D-R-A-V-V-I-N, or um, at Ren Games, as a W-R-E-N, as in the bird. Uh, you can find me um, on our website, which is www.rengames.co.uk. And again, that's W-R-E-N-G-A-M-E-S. Fantastic. So thanks very much for listening, everyone. If you like what you've listened to, then the best way to help out the cast is just to share us around, drop us a review and rating on iTunes. And you can also follow us on Twitter at The Giant Brain, Instagram, Giant Brain UK, Facebook, The Giant Brain. Our website is giantbrain.co.uk. And I've been putting up some expo previews. We will be talking about expo a lot in the next cast. And our email is giantbrainuk at gmail.com. So if you want to comment on anything we've talked about today or complain to make any comments, kind of complaints as jamie was saying then please do drop us an email thanks very much